Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Man, and I trust that he has something for us on this special Father's Day Sunday together. If you would, let's read from the Lord's Word. We're going to read from John chapter 1, verse 29, and then I want to move down and read verse 36. So we're reading from John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then in verse 36, And looking upon Jesus, as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And then turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. And let's look at verse 6. The book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6. I just want to read part of this verse. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. John, the beloved disciple, told us twice, Behold the Lamb of God. And then, some years later, when he writes this account of the apocalypse and the vision of the revelation, he invites us to look at what he saw. He said, I beheld in the midst of the throne, living creatures and the elders, there stood a lamb. He goes on and describes what that vision looked like, but I just want to take those verses, use as a text this morning, and speak to you on the subject, the language of the Lamb. The language of the Lamb. Now, as uh, Pastor Danny said, I've been at, uh, at uh, the university for uh, a long while now. It's a joy to see uh, Brother Bob Ely and Sister Edith here this morning, Brother Ely, when he was president of the school, allowed me to come in the year 2000 for the first time to SCU, and I've been there ever since, and, and it's been a great opportunity for me to uh, impart towards others and receive myself. But much of my life, as you can imagine, you that have been through the halls of academia there or somewhere else, as a professor, it is spent with giving tests, giving exams, and grading papers. And I've, I've discovered a lot of students, they, they have different anxieties. Some people have test anxiety. You just mentioned the word test or quiz, and, and they get kind of queasy right away. But other people, the tests are no problem, but it's writing a paper that is the difficulty, the paper problem people. And so I tell some of them, you know, that it's really not that hard to write a good paper. To write a good paper, all you really need to do is to be able to put a few good paragraphs together. Am I right? You put a good few good paragraphs together, you've got a good paper. Writing a paragraph isn't that hard either. If you want to write a good paragraph, all you need to be able to do is to put a few good sentences together. You write a few good sentences together, you've got a good paragraph. It's the sentence that gives us problems. That's what I've discovered. Now, I know you didn't come to get a grammar lesson this morning, but I will tell you, if you are, have any interest in writing a good sentence, there's a number of things that you can do to make a sentence good and effective. One of them is simply to end it. Am I right? 
every now and then I would feel mischievous as a, an instructor in the classroom. I'd go and I'd put a little dot on the board. And I would say, what is this? And the students would guess all kinds of different things. And, and then I would tell them, let me introduce this to you. It's a wonderful literary device. It's called a period. You know what it means? It means stop, right? Most of my students never were really fond of the period. They liked those squiggly, curly things, the comma, you know. That, just run on sentences. The record for the longest sentence of a student that I ever had in teaching at SCU used to be 84 words in one sentence. Can you imagine? I could tell you who it was. Some of you would know who that young man's name. But you heard me say used to. It wasn't you, Dennis. You, all right. It used to be 84. A young lady came along and shattered the record with 91 words. In a single sentence. How would you like to diagram that one? I read it to my wife and it kept going on and on and on. So one thing you can do, you know, I tell you, if you put that period there and end the sentence, you can always start another one, right? You don't have to say everything in that one. But if you're really interested in writing a good sentence, all a sentence needs to be a sentence is a subject and a predicate. And the, the, the more common words that we use to describe those two features is a noun and a verb. Am I right? And it's the verbs that I'm attracted to at Passion Church this Sunday morning. What I want to do in this message, and I hope it's all right, uh, you know, if I just put the cookies on the, the low shelf, is that okay? Where everybody can get a hold of them here, you know? You know, sometimes if people hear you've got a doctor coming from a university, everybody thinks it's going to be way up here. I really, outside of the, the academy, I, I'm really not fond of, you know, even being identified as a doctor. People start telling you what's wrong with them, you know, their shoulder and their back and everything. So if it's okay, is it all right if I just put the cookies on the low shelf where everybody can get a hold of them? I just want to put some verbs together and tell you the grand old story of the gospel. I loved it when, when this praise team in the congregation was singing, you know, you ask me who I say is, and I'll tell you who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I've always wanted to be able to tell this grand old story, the message, uh, just one time like I'd really like to tell it. And would you believe I've never, all of the years I've been preaching, I've never told it once when after I finished preaching, I said to myself, you did it that time. But I do tell you, before I stand to speak on an occasion like this, I do say, Lord, let this be the time. Let this be the moment. Let this be the Sunday. Oh, I'd like to tell it like I'd really like to tell it. Maybe it'll be this Sunday. I, here's the way I'm going to do it. I just want to select some verbs, put them together, tell you the story about Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, some of you from English classes may remember there's different kinds of verbs. The best kind of verbs are those action-packed, colorful verbs. But then there's those other kind that are called helping verbs. Anybody remember those? Auxiliary verbs. They're not colorful. They're not dynamic. But you have to have them or you can't communicate with people. So as I recall, I think there were 23 of them. Is, am, are, was, were, be, been, been, has, have, had, do, does, did, can, could, will, would, shall, should. Am I right? You didn't think I knew them, but that's it. By necessity, if you're going to tell the story of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the very first verb I would have to use, I don't want to use too many of these helping verbs, but the first one has to be a helping verb, and it simply is the word was. In the beginning, the Lamb was. Before He did anything, He simply was. 
Genesis 1.1 said, in the beginning, God created. Now, created's a wonderful verb. It's an action verb. But how many of you know John 1 and 1 comes before Genesis 1 and 1 in chronological order? Because John said, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Before He created, He was. Before He made, He was. Before He did, He was. One preacher said he stepped out on nothing and he made everything. He made everything out of nothing. He stepped out on nothing when he did it. Do you know why he stepped out on nothing in the beginning? There wasn't any place for him to step out on. Do you know why he made everything out of nothing? There was nothing for him to make anything with. But before he made and created, the lamb simply was. Do you believe that today? I used to tell uh, some of the young ladies in my classes, one day the Lord's going to give you a husband. Now the reason, you don't have to be, you know, a predictive prophet to make that statement. That was really the reason over half the young ladies were there on the campus. They were incognito under the guise of getting an education, but really they were on the lookout, right, for finding a husband. So I said, one day you ladies are going to find a husband. You're going to fall in love. You're going to get married. You're going to have a little child. And one day... That little two, three, four-year-old is going to look up at you and say, Mama, where did God come from? And I would tell them, when that moment happens, there's only one thing you can say that will satisfy them. You know what it is? Go ask your dad. Am I right? And then I would say, guys, one day the Lord will give you a companion. You'll fall in love. You'll get married. You'll have children. One day your little one will say, Daddy, where did God come from? Can you guess what I tell them to say? Go ask your mom. You know why you have to do that? Have you ever tried to answer that question to a little child? You say, when they say, where did God come from? You say, well, honey, he didn't come from anywhere. He, he just, he just was, right? And that's why this same revelator that wrote these words in chapter 13, he said, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Peter said it this way, you and I have not been redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb who verily was foreordained from the foundation of the world. But He was manifest for you and I. Before there was anything, the Lamb simply was. But let me give you a second verb. And here's where, as we say, the story starts to get good. The Lamb came. He wasn't just eternally existent. The Lamb was. There came a moment in history where the Lamb came. The incarnation happened. The Son of God became the Son of Man so you and I, sons and daughters of men, could become sons and daughters of God. When we couldn't get to where He was, He came to where we were. That's incarnation. The Lamb came. He came. And when, with apologies to Dr. Seuss, he, he came without ribbons. He came without tags. He came without packages, boxes or bags. Where was he born? Not in a palace, not in a mansion, not in an elaborate hospital, but outside under the stars in a barnyard dwelling. That's where lambs are born. And the lovely Lamb of God made his arrival in such a humble existence as that. The Lamb came. Oh, he came, he came, he came. Think about this. Philip Yancey said he used to go and feed his fish in the aquarium. But every time he would go and feed them, the little fish would see this big towering figure so different than its own existence and would swim away from him in fear. Yancey said he would talk to the little fish and say, Come here, little fish. 
I love you. I'm here for you. I want to feed you. I'm not here to harm you. But every time the fish would swim away. And Yancey, it finally dawned on him. He said, you know what? There's no way that fish will ever really know how much I care for him and love him. He said, unless I could become a fish. He said, if I could become a fish, I could get in his environment. I could move into that aquarium. I could swim alongside him. I could say, look, I'm one of you, and I love you. And even though Yancey could not become a fish, do you understand this morning for thousands of years, God through the Old Testament times was trying to tell His creation, I love you, I made you, I'm claiming you for my own, I'm here to help you. But how could we ever know? How could we ever get that message unless He became one of us? And yet that's what happened. The Lamb became one of us. And He walked around with us and He was able to tell us who He was. But aren't you glad the Lamb came? Let me give you another verb. Not only the lamb was, the lamb came, the lamb grew. He grew. He came as a baby, but aren't you glad he didn't stay a baby? He grew, and he became a young man. He went through all the stages of life from being, you know, a baby, an infant, an adolescent, a toddler, a 12-year-old, a teenager. Can you imagine? God became a teenager, and he grew to become a man. We don't know much about those years. They're called the years of obscurity. But Luke gives us a couple of summary statements. He said the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. The favor of God was on him. said he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. He grew intellectually. He grew socially. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. I can't comprehend it, but the lamb grew. I love Christmas time and all of the songs and all of the emphasis on our Lord's birth. But really, Christmas is just like looking at the baby pictures of our children. We look at it with fond remembrance, uh, but we're so glad and thankful they didn't stay a baby. But our children grew, amen? And our, isn't that true with our Lord as well? He came as a baby, but He did not stay a baby. He grew to become a man. Did you ever go to a family reunion? You know, uh, and you, when you were younger and you were a teenager maybe and you saw all kinds of aunts and uncles and people you didn't know and people would come up to you and they'd say, My, look how you've grown. You know, now, they haven't seen you in like 10 years. Shouldn't they be more surprised if you hadn't grown? You know, if you were the... But, I mean, have you ever wondered about that? Oh, the lamb was and then the lamb came. But he didn't stay a baby like he came. He grew. Aren't you glad he grew? And he became a man and... He grew and there came a day somewhere around the age of 30 he laid aside carpenter tools for the last time and he walked to Jordan to be baptized by, by John. Here's the verb, the lamb walked. The lamb walked. This is the occasion in John chapter 1 where the beloved writer said that John the Baptist saw him walking and he said, behold, the lamb of God. The lamb walked. He walked in Galilee in the north. He walked all over Judea in the south. One day he walked right through Samaria and he stopped at a well. He walked all around Galilee. One day he walked on Galilee. He walked uh, uh, in villages and synagogues. He walked in gardens. He, he walked one day up a mount called Calvary. And he, one day he walked out of a tomb. The lamb walked. The lamb walked. Now John the Baptist identified him in John 1.29. I read it to you. He pointed at Jesus and he said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the first time the word lamb is used in the whole Bible, do you know where it is? You might think it would be used in the Garden of Eden, but it wasn't. 
It's not until Genesis 22 at a mount called Moriah where a father and a son are climbing the slope of that hill and the son is carrying the firewood and he kind of begins to sense what's happening and he said, Father, here's the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And you remember Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. First time the word lamb is used in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's in the form of a question, where is the lamb? You turn to the New Testament. The first time the word lamb is used in the New Testament, do you know where it is? Matthew does not use the word lamb. Mark does not use the word lamb. Luke only uses it once in the plural, but the, the first time the word is used in the New Testament, it's in John 1.29, where John the Baptist saw Jesus. And it's almost as if he can hear the question that was asked centuries before. Where is the Lamb? And he points at Jesus and said, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about this with me. When Abel offered one lamb on the altar back in Genesis, that was one lamb for one man, for one person. On Passover in the book of Exodus, when that father took the lamb and slew it and and applied the blood on the doorpost. That was one lamb for a whole house. On the great day of atonement, the high priest would go into the most holy place just once a year, and he would offer a lamb for the whole nation. But did you hear what John the Baptist said? Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin, not just of one man, not just for one house, not just for one country, but this lamb has come for the sins of the whole world. But what if the world doesn't want him? And it sure looks like from the reports I'm reading and the news I'm hearing, most of the nations of this world don't want anything to do with Jesus as the Lamb of God. But if, a, if the world doesn't want him, a nation can still have the Lamb of God. What if a country doesn't want the Lamb of God? What if our beloved United States of America and so many voices in the media and the mainstream are, seem to be saying loud and clear, we don't want anything to do with this Jesus. What if a nation doesn't want the Lamb? I'm telling you, even if our nation turns its back on Him, your home can still have the Lamb. Your family can still have the Lamb. Dads, your family can still have the Lamb. The news is even better. What if everybody in your house doesn't want Him? I'm preaching you as a man or a woman or a young person. You can have the Lamb of God. Glory in your heart and in your life. The lamb was, the lamb came, the lamb grew, the lamb walked. Let me tell you something else. The lamb talked. Have you ever heard a talking lamb before? All lambs walk, but this one I'm preaching about, he talked. He had something to say, didn't he? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He said, I will be thou clean. He said, my peace I give unto you. This lamb had something to say, but here's an interesting phenomenon. The closer he got to the cross, the less and less the lamb spoke. After that last discourse with his disciples, from the upper room to the garden, after that high priestly prayer to his father, after that time of intercession in Gethsemane, the lamb gets very quiet. He stands before the Sanhedrin, after standing before Annas, and then Caiaphas, the high priest, and then the Sanhedrin, and then Pilate, and Herod, and Pilate again. Six different courtroom settings, six different kangaroo courts. And they try to get him to speak, but he says almost nothing. Why? 
Well, Isaiah said this was going to happen, didn't he? He said he's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep dumb before his shears, he doesn't open his mouth. He saved others, but he's choosing not to save himself in order to redeem the rest of this world. The silence of the lamb. That's what they hear, the silence of the lamb of God. Finally, this lamb is placed on the cross. The lamb that was, the lamb that came, the lamb that grew, the lamb that walked, the lamb that talked. His talking is almost over, but if you listen carefully, he says something else. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks at a dying thief and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He looks at a, a weeping mother and a trembling disciple and says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. He cries out in anguish and says, I thirst. Somewhere around the midpoint, darkness engulfs that scene. And he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is astonishing. His whole life he never called the Father anything except Father. But this one time at the very end, he says, my God, my God, why? Why does he do that? He obviously is dying a substitutionary, vicarious death. He's saying what you and I would have said. He was saying what so many executed prisoners were crying out. My God, my God, why? This statement has baffled the scholars for 2,000 years. We still don't fully know all that's happening here. How can there be a division in the Trinity? Has the Father really forsaken Him? Or does it just seem so to the Son bearing the sins of the earth? We know he's quoting Psalm 22. And at the end of that psalm, there is triumph and there is victory. I don't fully know all that was involved when the Lamb said that. But I will tell you this. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why? That was not the last thing that he said. He did not die with a question mark on his lips. Now, I know there's many professors, they, their, their course of action in the classroom, they like to explore a lot of different views and theories and the such like and just get all the students kind of confused and everybody, you know, leaving with question marks, wondering what really to believe. That's not my method. I don't mind looking at different views and hearing all the different sides, but before the students walk out the door, I want to leave them with an exclamation point saying, here is truth and here's what you need to know. And Jesus didn't go out with a question mark on his lips. He said something else. Matthew said he cried with a loud voice. Mark said it was a loud voice. Luke said it was a loud voice. And this same writer, John, tells us what he cried. He cried, it is finished. And then he said, Father, there it is again. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. In the, in the Greek, that's tetelestai. Do you know what it means? It means paid in full. That's what it means when he said it is finished. Anybody up here in this part of Oklahoma City making payments of any kind? Do y'all do that? Anybody got a mortgage, uh, you know, two or three? You've got a car payment and all kinds of payments. We like to get stuff, don't we? But, oh, sending out those payments every month for many years is not, is not fun at all. But did anybody ever pay off anything? Did you ever pay anything off? Did you ever get something back from the company and it's stamped with their seal and it says paid in full? I looked online. I went online just this week to make a payment for our house, our house payment, but we had refinanced it. 
and, uh, and, and refinance the mortgage with the same company. So they had both of them listed there, and one of them still had the amount I owe on the new one. But that first one that we retired, there it was right out to the side. It said, paid in full. And it did my heart good to know, well, one of them was paid, but really we just moved it over to another one. But I'm telling you, when Jesus on the cross, He didn't just refinance something for us. He paid every debt, everything against our name that we owed. Glory, glory, glory. Paid in full. And then the lamb died. There's the other verb, the lamb died. He bowed his head and he died. The lamb was, the lamb came, the lamb grew, the lamb walked, the lamb talked, and then the lamb died. Now this was not unusual. Millions of lambs and bulls and goats had lived before and they had lived and they had died. But what's different about this story is that uh, this is not the end of the story. Amen? Jesus dies in Matthew 27, but there's a Matthew 28. He dies in Mark 15, but there's a Mark 16. He dies in Luke 23, but there's a Luke 24. He dies in John 19, but there's a John 20 and a John 21. And so that fateful Friday gave way. Friday was a, that, that awful, significant day gave way to Saturday, which had to be a long, long day. Hopes, dreams, aspirations, and goals were all gone. Fear gripped the hearts of his followers, shame. Guilt, remorse, the doors locked and bolted. They all said they'd go with him. They all forsook him and fled. That Saturday had to be the longest day in human history for those that lived through it. And I, I don't know how other preachers do it, but when I preach, I like to try to look at people as much as I can while I'm preaching. I like to peer right into their eyes and right into their souls if I can. And a lot of places where I've been the last couple of years to speak I don't know how to explain it but it's almost like there's a dark cloud of gloom and doom and depression hanging over the congregation and a lot of folks look to me like they're living somewhere in between Good Friday and Easter they look like they haven't heard the news the good news is he died is not the last verb Saturday didn't last forever Saturday came and went Sunday morning came something happened on Sunday that had never happened before the stone was rolled away not so Jesus could get out it's rolled away so others could go in but all of a sudden the Lamb of God is quickened and he's on the other side of the stone saying because I live you shall live also the Lamb lived Amen the Lamb lived and if you want to put it in the present tense the Lamb lives Amen Glory, glory, glory. Say, preacher, you're all mixed up. You know, this is Father's Day, and you're talking about Christmas and now Easter. Listen, for the child of God, every Sunday is an Easter Sunday. Every time they preached in the book of Acts, this is what they were preaching. Jesus died, and he rose again. Well, he walked 40 days more on the earth. He showed himself to be alive by many infallible proofs. He imparted undoubtedly his strategy for what his kingdom and his church was going to look like with that handful of followers. And then 40 days later, he took them out to Bethany. He laid his hands on them and he blessed them. And a cloud came down and received them out of sight. And the lamb left. Didn't he? That's what the ascension was all about. The lamb left. Those followers that saw it, their eyes got big, their mouths dropped open. Heavenly messengers appeared and said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus that was taken up from among you into heaven is coming back just like you've seen him go into heaven. 
He came up, he, he went up literally, bodily, visibly. Guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back the same way. Now, I have to confess something to you, passing church. Um, I'm kind of mischievous today because for you that are taking notes and scoring at home, eight, I've already given you like eight points, haven't I? Isn't that right? The lamb was, the lamb came, the lamb grew, the lamb walked, the lamb talked, the lamb died, the lamb lived, and then the lamb left. But did you notice I didn't tell you how many I had at the beginning? I didn't, I didn't give you the sheet with all, if I'd have had all those blanks on the note sheet, if I'd have, do I look like a rookie today? Do I look like this is my first rodeo? Why, if I'd have told some of you people I've got an eight-point sermon, some of you would have checked out. You'd have got off the plane even before we took out. But you know what? It's too late. I've already brought them in the side door, you know. I'm not taking them back. You've already got them. Somebody said the other day, we don't need any more three-point sermons. Well, my reply is, if you've ever heard one that had 13 points or 23 points, you'll be glad for a three-pointer every now and then. Between you and me, I've heard quite a few that didn't even have a point. If it had a point, I didn't get what the point was. On the way home, I was asking my wife, what was the point with that? So I've given you eight verbs, but what if I told you I'm not finished? What if I told you I've got two more? Would you stay and hear them if I told you it was kind of going to, you know, we're going to wrap it up. I know we've got another service, but there's two more. The lamb was, the lamb came, the lamb grew, the lamb walked, the lamb talked, the lamb died, the lamb lived, and then the lamb left. What else could we say about him after he ascended to heaven? Well, you can go out to Will Rogers Airport, you can watch the planes come and go. You can watch a plane take off, you can see it as far as your eyes can observe until it disappears in the heavens. But how many of you know, as sure as there's a departure here, there's an arrival somewhere? somewhere on another side and just as sure as Jesus left the earth here from the Mount of Olives he arrived somewhere in glory didn't he and when he arrived in that heavenly realm the Bible tells us what he did you know what he did the lamb sat didn't he he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high henceforth expecting until his enemies are made his footstool Oh, the lamb sat down. Where is Jesus this morning? Literally, bodily, visibly. He's seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Now, this doesn't imply inactivity, but you know what the sitting down does signify to me? I think it's a glorious picture of the finished work of Calvary. That means he finished all of his earthly assignment that the Father had given him to do, and when he finished it, he went home and he sat down. Since this is Father's Day, let me ask you dads, do any of you have a favorite chair at home? Do you? Is it a recliner? Is there anything better after you've labored and toiled during the day to get home in the evening and you sit down in that chair? I want to tell you, when Jesus finished it, His earthly assignment of redemption, He went to the heavenly realm and He sat down. And I'm just as sure He's there this morning as I'm sure that we're here. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. But I told you I had one last verb. And finally, finally I'm back to my text in Revelation 5 and 6. I didn't just, you know, somebody said, 
A lot of preachers, they take a text. It's like the national anthem at a ball game. You hear it at the start, and then you never hear it anymore, you know. But, no, I'm back to the text. And don't anybody panic. Have you heard those preachers that preach 30 minutes or so, and then they say, now all that was my introduction? That used to be funny, but that's not funny in places anymore. People are very serious. So listen, we're not getting ready to take off. We're landing this thing right now. Put the, put the, the chairs up and the tray tables in and the, the landing gear is getting ready. But here it is. The lamb was. The lamb came. The lamb grew. The lamb walked. The lamb talked. The lamb died. The lamb lived. And then the lamb left. And then the lamb sat. Well, what other verb could you could you say, and here's what John said, he said, I beheld and I looked in the midst of the throne and in the midst of those living creatures and in the midst of those elders, there stood a lamb as he had been slain. Now somebody tell me, how can any creature that's been slain stand? You cannot do it unless there's been a resurrection. And so John saw a lamb, it was the slain lamb, but he was standing in the heavenly realm. There stood a lamb. As he had been slain. What does the standing of the Lamb signify? Well, it's the message that we need to hear at Passion Church this morning. Because if you and I just get focused in on the media, if we just listen to the newscast, ABC and CBS and NBC and CNN and even Fox and all the rest, I mean, we'll join that ranks of those people whose hearts are failing them for fear, looking after things coming upon the earth. It, it seems like this world's on such a, a, a crazy course. Someone's taken us into an amusement park. They've put us on a roller coaster. They've turned it on and they've left the park and we can't get off. That's the way I feel sometimes. But then all of a sudden, I say that's not reality. Reality is somewhere above all of this world, there's a Lamb of God, glory, and He's standing, amen? He's standing in the heavenly realm. I want you to see that before John saw all of the tribulation events that were going to unfold, he saw a lamb standing in the heavenly realm. And the lamb, I believe, has been standing one by one to get the children of God. When, he, when Stephen was being stoned, he said, I see Jesus. He's standing at the right hand of God. I see the Son of Man standing. Evidently, the lamb stands up to welcome his faithful children home one by one. But the hour is coming and soon shall be. He's going to stand up. Glory. Not just together one, but to welcome the entire church and his beloved bride home. I want to be ready, don't you? Do you love him this morning? Do you know him? Is that, that's the language of the Lamb of God. Praise his name. Stand to your feet with me. I'm out of verbs. And when I go to describe him, I'm out of adjectives. But all I can do is say what my precious father said many times. Jesus Christ is everything the Bible says he is. And he's 10,000 times more. I want you to know this Sunday morning I'm in love with the Lamb. I'm infatuated with him. I've got a bad case of it. If you get around me, it might spill over on you. Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.